Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth. And we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and to make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father. And if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. In you I find my joy. Hey, uh, we're going to get going this evening. And uh, I just want to make you aware, we don't have slides, obviously. You can't do projection outside. And we don't have TVs that could be big enough for any of everybody to see. So in your bulletin, there's some passages of scripture. Just make sure you have that handy. We're going to be going through it in lieu of slides. Um, and actually, we're going to start here. The first one is that passage just right down there in your bulletin. So Psalm 112, verse 1 through 5. And this is really a passage that's become our passage for the vision series. Uh, it says this, and you can just follow along. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. The vision of Saint Hill Church is very simple. In fact, it's actually the same vision that Jesus had for his disciples, and it's this, on earth as it is in heaven. Not kind of on earth as it kind of is in heaven. No, 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 on earth as it is in heaven. And really, um, that phrase encapsulates the ultimate way of saying the word revival. When I think of revival, maybe when you think of revival, you think of a big tent or a single meeting or something like that. I believe revival is a lifestyle every disciple has been welcomed into, and it is from the Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven. Now, um, there is a connection between the ability to participate in God reviving a place and the fear of the Lord. I shared this uh, last week about how uh, a couple months ago I was asking God what he has next for St. Hill in the next year and the next three years and how he had really given me this singular phrase for our church in 2020 and 2021, which was this. God said, I'm going to give the church integrity through the fear of God. I'm going to give Saints Hill integrity through the fear of God. Now, the fear of God is like the superfood of the disciple. It does so many different things. As we just read in the Psalms, it produces so much in our lives. Um, because what it does is the fear of God positions us correctly in relation to God. So you could go, be going about your day, you're a Christian, and you could not be seeing him accurately. And so you actually don't fear God. And so you make decisions that are out of line with the very uh, beautiful identity that you've been given as a child of God. The fear of God, what it does is it comes into a situation like that and says, this is who God is. You see him clearly and it actually produces a reverence in your heart, an excitement in your heart, a willingness to be tender to him, to bend the knee before him. That's what the fear of God does. And one of these uh, benefits of the fear of God, of this relational post positioning is integrity. 
It's integrity. I'm not talking necessarily about character integrity, although I think it has something to do with this, but integrity in engineering is what? It's strength. So the integrity of a bridge is its ability to bear the weight of cars and trucks and heavy objects crossing that bridge, right? It's uh, the ability of an object to bear the weight of something. And last week we talked about how the fear of God and specifically our tenderness to him, our sensitivity to his presence actually strengthens us, gives us integrity to handle the weighty things, the glory of his uncontrollable presence. It is possible for believers to get used to um, a religious program in their life. They didn't mean for this to happen. This wasn't their intention. But to just go through the motions and call it discipleship. What happens if you do that is you never actually get in the, the, um, the weight gym of trusting God, the weight gym of tenderness to him, the weight gym of the fear of God. And so when he intends to pour something out that's incredibly strong and weighty, he's looking for people that have been strengthened by being tender to him, been strengthened by being sensitive to him, and he can't find it because Christians have become accustomed to only what they can control when it comes to God. That's not the case for us, and that won't be the case for us. He, there's the word. What is the word? I'm going to give Saints Hill integrity through the fear of God in this next year. God's not looking for strong people. He's a father, so he's looking for those who can be made strong through their response to his presence. The one, I was talking to a gal this last week who feels like God has really put something very heavy and weighty on her heart to do here uh, and, and even have saints he'll be a part of. And she says, I'm the most unlikely person to do this. Well, guess why she's being chosen to do it? Because she's the person who's responded to him. He's not looking for the strong. He's not looking for the qualified. He's looking for those who have a tenderness to him, a response to him. Now, um, it could be easy when we think of that phrase on earth as it is in heaven, it could be easy to think of that as only being those crazy moments with God, the, the moments where somebody comes for prayer and they get healed. And you're like, what on earth? I'm seeing, There's a gal sitting here tonight who I've seen before and after pictures of her colon and where there had once been just havoc wreaked in her colon, gotten prayer, prayer for it. And next thing you know, pictures just completely clean, complete healing. It could be easy to think of on earth as it is in heaven is only those moments where supernatural things happen or a prophetic word is given. But specifically this evening and in this series, I'm drawn to what sustains the ongoing transformation of a place. What sustains in Newburgh as it is in heaven? What kind of people can carry that vision here? What moves beyond moments of heaven into a culture of heaven in a place like Newburgh? And here it is. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. A place transforms to the degree the people of God there think saved. I'm gonna say it again. A place transforms to the degree that the people of God that call that place home think saved. Children get transformed to the degree their parents think saved. You want to see transformation in your family, you've got to think renewed. Your school, George Fox, is transformed to the degree that you think saved about yourself, about God, about the people around you. 
It's heaven in you, and then it's heaven through you. Put your hand over your heart and say this. We're gonna get, because I'm, I'm, I don't wanna lose you on this. This is important. Say this, heaven in me. A little bit louder. Heaven in me. Heaven through me. Heaven in me. Heaven through me. See, there's a connection between the Lord's Prayer and Romans chapter 12. Many of you probably know the Lord's Prayer. Um, It's that prayer where uh, the disciples say, how do we pray? And Jesus teaches them. And he says, you're to pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But you can't get on earth as it is in heaven without thinking renewed thoughts. How do I know? Well, look down in in your bulletins. The next passage is Romans 12. It says this. It says, Paul speaking, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So follow me for a moment. We're talking on earth as it is in heaven. That's the aim. That's the call of every disciple. It's awareness of God increasing. It's the fear of God taking hold of of an entire place. It's revival, right? It's God's will. And see, how do we know what God's will is for a place specifically? How do we know what God's will is for a people specifically? What do we do with our days, our hours, our minutes that we have? It's renewing our minds. Look back down. It says this, then when you think renewed thoughts, when you renew your mind and get transformed, then you will be able to test and approve God's will. So you can start doing this. Is this heaven? Should I participate in this? Is this what we should do? Should I give my time, my energy? Should I approve of this? Should I, I'm gonna test that? Is that what he has for this people? And it's so simple. When we think renewed thoughts, we get transformed to bring heaven to earth. It's right there. It's in the Bible. When we think renewed thoughts personally, we personally get transformed so that we position ourselves in such a way to see heaven come, heaven in me, Heaven through me. Say it again. Heaven in me. Heaven through me. Here's where I want us to put our focus tonight. Without a strong identity in Christ, we may never think renewed and we may never get transformed. Without a strong identity in Christ, somebody who is, that's technical theological language, somebody who has gone from in Adam to in Christ. If you don't see yourself that way with a strong identity, this is who I am, this is what I've been called to, this is how you see me, we may never end up thinking renewed thoughts, getting transformed and renewing a place, seeing revival come through us, being strong to handle what he intends to to pour out. So we're gonna strengthen up. We're in the gym tonight. This is a theological dumbbell and barbell exercise. Are you guys ready for this? That's pretty weak. Are you ready for this? I came ready, okay? I I have a little something tonight for you guys. I'm ready for this. Everybody write this down. Heaven in us comes from position confession. I'm gonna explain it. I don't see anybody writing this down, so I'm gonna say it again. Get your phone out. Heaven in us comes from position confession. Position confession. You're like, what is he talking about? Let me explain. Christianity is unique because of its belief that in a moment, someone can go from sinner to saint, like that. In a moment, somebody can go from you were a sinner, enemy of God, to now you're a saint walking within the halls of his glorious uh, temple, and you now have a seat at his table. In fact, it's the only religion to say that this is possible. Every other religion says, here are the steps. It's gonna take some time. Enlightenment is a long journey. Christianity says, in a moment, everything can change. 
This is important because this belief, this reality comes directly from understanding that Jesus' death and resurrection mean a life completely brought from death to life. I remember uh, my buddy Noah, he was telling me one time, he said, did you ever realize that Christ died a complete death and he had a complete resurrection? I was like, yeah, I kind of thought that. He's like, then if you're in him, you've died a complete death to sin and now you have a complete resurrection to life. And here's the important point. This reality of life changing in a moment love is to become the platform, the stage, the foundation of a life of character and power transformation. How do I know? Look down at your bulletin again. Next passage, Colossians chapter two. Paul's speaking to the the church in Colossae. He says this. So then, just as you received... You have a pen, underline that. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so continue to live your lives in him, rooted, built up in him, strengthened in faith, as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Think about this. Just as you received, so continue. Here's the key. The posture you received Christ with is intended to be the same posture that every disciple carries throughout all of life. It's how you continue. How you received is how you continue. Because that is what roots you, builds you, strengthens your faith, and causes overflowing with thankfulness, or simply put, in the language of this evening, that's what renews your thinking and transforms you. As you received, so continue. As you do that, your thinking gets renewed, you end up getting transformed. So the question is this then, well, how did I receive him? How does everyone receive Christ? Well, to be saved, one must come to a place of dependence on Jesus, faith like Abraham, trust in relationship with him. To get there, to get to that point in somebody's life, it's miraculous and it happened to all of you To get there, one must understand that they're broken and they're in need of saving and in recognition of their position before God at the foot of the cross. To receive Christ, you have to know you need him and you have to recognize, here's my position before you at the foot of your cross, Jesus. And right then and there, boom, faith like Abraham, righteous giving, faith takes place and you become saved. Now, I know this is a lot, but track with me. One must recognize their position at the foot of the cross. Have you ever been there? It's that moment where you're like, God, I need you. Your life. I've been pushing you away all of my life, but in this moment, I know that you're real. I've seen you. The fear of God has taken hold of me, and I'm going to give myself to you. Without you, I'm lost. Our confession, our true repentance is the hand reaching for the doorknob that Jesus is knocking on. That's repentance. That's how we receive him. Now, you may conclude, well, just as we received him, so continue. And that's how renewed mind happens. That's how transformation happens. So we may think, if we are going to continue in him in the way that we received him, then we're gonna be renewed, transformed by him by every time we sin, every time we lack growth, every time we don't see the the amount of love that we really wanna have for others present in our lives, 
we recognize our position at the foot of the cross and we go, woe is me. I'm such a sinner. I'm so, so, so sorry. I'm out of line. I'm so wrong, God. Isn't that how we received him? I don't know about that. See, the question is, when you got saved, when you came into Christ, you took on a new identity as a child of God. So the question is this, did your position change? You had one position, but when you got in Christ, you were given another position. For example, 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says this, in Adam all die. Born into Adam, we all inherit Adam. In Adam all die. For someone who's not in Christ, their future is death. But the passage also says, for those who are in Christ, they will be made alive. In Adam, all die. In Christ, you'll be made alive. There seems to be a difference. John says this in 1 John. He says, this is just, we could spend a whole month on this. He says, as he is, speaking of Jesus, so are we in the world. Um, come again? As Jesus is, that's how we are to be here in this world. Jesus set a bar that every disciple has the ability to meet through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this to the Ephesians. He says, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm have been given to you. Are you missing any spiritual blessings? Okay, I'm gonna ask again, because you guys are a little dead, so I'm gonna come over here. Are we missing any spiritual blessings? Not according to Paul. Ephesians chapter one says, all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms have been given to you. Paul says this to the Romans in, in chapter eight. He says, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if you're in Christ, can you be condemned? No. no. Jesus says this, his words, not mine. Take it up with him. He says, you're gonna do even greater things than me. Okay, here we go. See, the position has changed, hasn't it? From in Adam to in Christ. Now here's where things get very, very interesting. The Greek word for confession is homologian. Can you say that with me? Homologian, homologian. And here's what it means. That word means to say the same thing. Write that down. To confess with the mouth is to say the same thing. Now, the Hebrew word for repent, what does it mean? It means to think again. So bear with me. To confess is to say the same thing. To repent is to think again. What these two concepts combine to mean is that when we confess, we say what God is saying about reality. That's confession. God, I've been seeing things this way, but I confess this is how you see them. You're seeing it this way. And when we repent, we change our minds to come into agreement with God's mind. To confess, I'm gonna say the same thing as you. Even about me, I'm gonna say, what you're saying about me, I'm gonna say about me. You think declarations aren't in the Bible? Oh, they're in the Bible. They're important. To repent, what is that? It's to change your mind so that you think like him. So how do we get transformed? Continuing in him, just the way we received him. It's not confession of the same position you were in before the cross. It's a confession of the position he's brought you into after the cross. 
That's a good word. Do you get this? Are you seeing this? It's position confession. My position before you has actually changed God. It's an identity confession. It's saying what he is saying about his children. It's thinking what he is thinking about you being in Christ. So how do you get transformed? You say what he's saying about you. As you received him. I'm, how, did I, how did I receive you? Oh, I confessed my position. I repented. I'm gonna continue in you. That gets me transformed. And I continue in you the same way. I'm gonna confess. I'm a child of God. I'm blameless, completely pure. I'm holy. I'm set apart. It's, it's what you've done. I'm coming. I'm not telling you this. It's what you're telling me. I'm agreeing with you. I'm confessing. I'm saying the same thing. Do you see that this is good news? I don't think you do yet. So here we go. Let's make this very practical. Imagine that you were to believe while being in Christ that you were actually outside of Christ. Imagine that while being in the kingdom, you were to believe that you're outside the kingdom. That would be a problem because you may end up behaving as somebody who lives outside the kingdom, even without the desire to do so, instead of making choices that reflect your new position because you either didn't understand what your position was in relation to God, or you've believed a lie, then repentance wouldn't be joyful gratitude. This is who you've made me to be. Your cross is enough. Your blood has covered me. I'm completely pure because of the sacrifice that you made. Repentance then would be this shameful attempt to get back into relationship with God. See, what, what keeps transformation going isn't saying you're a sinner because that would be disagreeing with God. It would be disagreeing with Jesus' work on the cross. Instead, what keeps transformation going is agreeing with God about what he's done, how he's changed your position to saint, to son, to daughter within his house. Do you guys see the difference? A nod would be helpful. Do you see the difference? Transformation happens to the degree that you are able to see your position as someone who is in Christ and confess that before God, bringing action and choice back into alignment with that very, very beautiful reality. This act, those choices to believe the truth and act accordingly is what the Bible calls renewing the mind. And as a result, it's transformation of a person, of a family, and of an entire culture. Do you see the importance to confess, to repent? Say it again, hand over your heart, say it again. Heaven in me, heaven through me. Heaven in me, heaven through me. See, you become, when you believe what's true about you and you make progress, you continue the way that you, came, that you received, you become an example of what is possible for every human when they become a child of God. I was talking with a friend the other day and he was telling me about um, a friend of his who's, who's not in Christ. They're in Adam. And he was saying, man, your life just seems so good. It's so blessed. It seems like you have so much peace. And it seems like you don't worry. It seems like you don't deal with the same things that I deal with. I want what you have. What is that? Somebody fully alive in Christ became an example of what is possible for every human who says yes to Jesus. They get the cross applied to them as well. The resurrection applied to them as well. This is very good news. And, and here's some more. This means that as followers of Jesus, we need to be more righteousness conscious than sin conscious. 
Okay, here we go. This is going to shake. This is going to rock some boats. More righteousness conscious than sin conscious. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 is, in my opinion, one of the most important passages in the New Testament for understanding the way a believer must see themselves. So go ahead and, if you have your Bibles, your phone, go ahead and turn there. Flip to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll take a moment. Uh, We don't have time to go through all of this chapter. I I need to really dedicate a whole message to it, Uh, but I wanted to touch on this. So, So flip to Hebrews chapter 10. And then maybe just put a bookmark in there. You could follow along if you want, but I'm gonna be paraphrasing some of it. I want you to check me because I'm gonna tell you such good news, you're not gonna believe me. And uh, so I want you to see this. I want you to see it for yourself. Hebrews chapter 10. So in Hebrews chapter 10, the author, we don't know who wrote the book Hebrews. Some some people think it was Paul. Other people think it was somebody else. Uh, But the author is essentially comparing two historical sacrifices and their effects on sin. He's looking at the sacrificial system of the Jews and then he's looking at the sacrifice of Jesus and he's comparing those two sacrifices. Here's what he says. He says, if the sacrifices of Israel had been completely effective, in verse one, he says, they would have made perfect those who draw near to worship. So think about it. That ongoing sacrificial system of the Jewish people, sacrificing bulls, goats, doves, pigeons, the whole thing. If that system had been perfect, if those had been perfect sacrifices, they would have made perfect those who draw near to worship. Verse two, he says this. Because of that, if they had made people perfect, they would have stopped being offered. Those priests would be out of a job. They could just sit down. He says this, because the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have, they would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. They would have no longer been conscious of their sins if it had been a perfect sacrifice. Now, we know it's not a perfect sacrifice. In verse three, in fact, he says this, those sacrifices, the Jews' sacrifices, are an annual reminder of sins. They do the opposite. They make you think about your sin. In fact, it was part of the reason for the sacrifices. The goat would come, they would slit the goat's throat and you would see this thing that you had poured your time, energy, money into die in place of you. You'd see the blood splattered on the ground. You'd see it lose its life force and eventually collapse. And you would think that's what I deserve. That's what my sin deserves. Oh, it would make you think a lot about sin. So recap this just for a moment, because I want you to get this. A perfect sacrifice would have made people perfect. It would have been offered only once. And having cleansed people fully, people would no longer feel guilty about their sin or be reminded of their sin time and time again. If only there was a perfect sacrifice, right? Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, wait. Here's where the good news comes in. He says there's another sacrifice, In verse 10, he says this, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. There is another sacrifice. Verse 12, he says this, when Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, what did he do? Oh, he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God. No need to get back on the cross every time you sin. Your sin is not putting him on the cross. He already paid for it, whether you realize it or not. And the people who want his blood to apply to their sin are the people who say, God, forgive me. I've been out of line with who you see me as. For by, this is what it says in verse 14, not my words, take it up with Hebrews. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect. Are you perfect? Oh no, I'm not, I'm not perfect. 
You're disagreeing with the Bible. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's good news. That's good news if you believe it. See, the definition of a good biblical sacrifice is a sacrifice that cleans you once and for all, makes you forget about all your sin and makes you perfect. That's a good sacrifice. And the, and the Bible says that's what Jesus did. It's right there before you. Read it. It's so good. So let me ask you this. As you sit here this evening, are you more aware of what is wrong with you or are you more aware of what he did right with you? Just think about your awareness as you're going throughout your week. Are you more aware of what is wrong with you or are you more aware of what he did right with you? Your answer to that question reveals which sacrifice you've applied over your life. Ongoing religious duty or the once and for all complete work of Christ on the cross. Let's break this down just a little bit more. If you think about what is wrong with you, introspection, disappointment, shame, trying to do better, I know I should, fill in the blank. You are living with a religious worldview and you have decided that you are only able to grow to the degree you recognize how bad you are, right? Because you sin and you go, oh my gosh, I'm like a Christian and I, I even serve at church and I, and I do this stuff and oh, well, okay, now I know where I need to grow. I'll just try harder, God, I'm so sorry. Another way to put it is this, you are only able, if this is you, you are only able to progress, to transform to the degree that you are aware of all that is off within you. So, so, so here's why. I mean, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm not calling anybody out by name. There are entire church movements dedicated to finding out what's wrong with you, to doing the introspection, to going deep. What is my sin? What's my, dark, what's my shadow side? What is it? I would argue that this is the heart of religion and this is being motivated by fear. I fear that I'm not enough. I don't believe in your complete perfect sacrifice over me. So this sin and my fear of my sin becomes my motivation to be better. Does that sound familiar? But imagine that there was someone who is more aware of what God has done in them than they are of what's wrong with them. Imagine. Imagine someone who really believes every day they wake up and they go, oh, I'm having a hard time believing in your perfect sacrifice. I know what you said. I'm gonna to go to Hebrews 10. I'm gonna read again. I'm gonna take this to heart. I'm gonna declare it. I'm gonna write down my declaration, put it on my mirror. And every day I wake up, I'm gonna remind myself, regardless of my experience, just like Abraham, he ignored his experience and he trusted you. I'm gonna ignore my experience. I'm gonna trust you. What would that person be like? See, they wouldn't ignore sin. This isn't about ignoring sin. Oh, I'm perfect. I don't sin. No, no, no. It's that you now have a new power to confess sin. You would confess it and then you would live in the reality of forgiveness over your entire life and you'd get strengthened by God's presence because it wasn't something you had to claw yourself back to. It's something that you've enjoyed regardless of your behavior. Okay. You gotta get this. The person who believes the truth about Christ and his sacrifice for them, they make progress to the degree they receive what he has done and they change to the degree that they believe the truth. If this is you, you get transformed to the degree that you gaze at him, to the degree that you look at him. You gaze upon what he has done. You focus on his goodness and his love for you. 
You fight the good fight of faith with the truth. I don't need faith to know what's wrong with me. It's not something I need faith for. Introspection is never fighting the good fight of faith. I do need faith to believe what he says to be true about me. That's fighting the good fight of faith. And this renewed thinking, when you this is we're we're renewing the minds. We're in the renewing minds gym tonight. We're, this thinking, this renewed thinking matters because here it is. It's renewing our focus that transforms, is where transformation comes in. So look, the last passage that's in your bulletin, look down. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all who with unveiled faces do what? What do we do? Contemplate. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, think about, focus on, delight in the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. That is really, really good news. We were never meant to focus on our sin. His sacrifice removed that. We were always meant to be more aware of his presence, more aware of his glory. And what the scripture before you, written on that page in front of you says, is that that is where heaven in you becomes reality. That is where transformation takes place. When you make a commitment to gaze at him, you become like him. When you make a commitment to think renewed, to confess, to say what he's saying, to repent, to think again like him, you have now positioned yourself for transformation, to change a dorm room, to change a family, to change children, to change a city. You've positioned yourself. And this matters because if you don't see yourself the way that he sees you, you will likely keep the veil on and you'll never actually become like him. See, the religious focus on sin they're actually comfortable with the veil. They actually like the veil. It's there to kind of leave a level of protection, a level of control between yourself and God. And so if you remain focused on your sin, you will likely live life feeling as though he's distant. Have you ever, have you ever felt like, oh, God's just so distant? Are you saying what he's saying? Are you thinking what he's thinking? God is not looking for the strong. He's a father. He's looking for those who can be made strong by coming into agreement about what he has done for them. I often hear uh, Christians and non-Christians alike uh, ask, hey, why don't Christians act like Christ? Why is it, you know, I don't know if you knew this, but some of the uh, most highly populated um, towns with churches, the churches that have the most, the towns that have the most churches per capita are some of the worst places in America to live. Why is that? And oftentimes you'll hear people like myself, pastors get up and they'll be like, guys, we need to love better. We need to serve more. We're gonna have a whole day for service. We're gonna have a whole day to love the city. Those are not bad things. Those are good things. Those are things that we'll participate in as a church. Why, why is that though? Why, why do Christians not act like Christ? And it's very simple. Many Christians do not see themselves the way that Jesus saw himself. So if you don't see yourself that way, you will not do what he did. If you don't see yourself as 
I am a son in which my father is well pleased. I am a daughter in whom my father is well pleased. If you do not see yourself first and foremost with that identity, then you will oscillate between guilt and self-righteousness because you'll feel responsible for Christ-like stuff and then you'll do it and you'll feel like you're better than others because of what you've done, not what he's done. on earth as it is in heaven, comes to the degree you see yourself the way Christ saw himself. I've been made completely pure. When the father looks at me, he sees the blood of Jesus applied over my life and that changes everything. This is what he purchased for us, guys. To be able to say, I'm a child in whom my father is well pleased. This is what he purchased for us. I'm holy, I'm blameless, I'm approved of, I'm full of power. I have an answer to every issue that comes my way. I live in relationship with the creator of the universe who has unlimited resources at his fingertips. I have an, the same, Christ said this, the same inheritance he's getting, you're getting. And we get to see ourselves this way because we get to start where Christ finished. We get to start where he's finished. This is the start of in me, as it is in heaven, around me, as it is in heaven. It's heaven in me, it's heaven through me. And that comes as we stay focused on him. And we say, I'm gonna think renewed. I'm gonna take you at your word. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening. And if we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website, saintshill.church.